With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to Return on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to get into the latest news and the mailbag. Answering your questions with a guy who is the owner, the lead reporter, the operator, everything over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, he is... A once-in-a-generation certified very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much. How's it going, Scott? It's going well. I just got to say, I'm doing my best to learn at your feet. I know I'm probably never going to become a very big deal, but one day if I could become like a junior league big deal, that's all I'm really looking for at this point. Yeah, exactly. You're you're working your way up the d- big deal ladder. It's okay. It takes time, you know. It, it I I wasn't born a very big deal. It took me a week or two. Uh, you know, <laughs> you you got to you got to grind a little bit and then work your way up the ladder. You're kind of like the A-Rod of very big deals. It took you like 3 weeks to get there whereas most people they don't get there in an entire lifetime. So, that just goes to show you what a truly very big deal you really are. Exactly. And being the very big deal that you are, I was curious what your input would be on the news that Brian Costello broke, which is apparently the Jets may be sticking with a 3-4 base defense. I'm not entirely sure that that's going to be the case. I think there might be some posturing here. And I also know that Greg Williams does like to show a lot of different fronts. So what is your take on this report? Do you think that they're going to stick with what they had been doing? Or do you think that they are going to move to a base 4-3 and maybe this is just some draft posturing? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to to make what to know what to make out of it because, uh, like you said, Greg Williams does use different fronts, but he's it, been a base four three guy. Um, I, the, my thing is, forget what they're going to do because I think they're going to use multiple fronts either way. And uh, uh, you know, we've talked about this when Bowles was here; they were base three four, but really their base was nickel. Anyway, so like some of that stuff doesn't really matter. And like you can go into a season thinking you're going to play this, but you have to adjust more so. But if they're going approaching this, looking at this as and this is what they should be doing. And what I think all NFL teams should be doing, focus on just getting the best players and being players who are versatile, look at what the Patriots do. The Patriots want versatile everywhere. They want to be able to go back and forth, three, four, nickel, dime, whatever, and build your depth that way. And you can play different fronts. You can create different rotations. So you can go and you can do a 4-3 with your best 4-3 package. And then you can go to a 3-4 with a 3-4 package. And it's one thing, you know, for – you look at a team like the Rams, the Rams aren't going to be able to just now flip and uh, adjust their roster so much to fit something like that. But with a a team like the Jets, 
that's going to be someplace there's so much room for improvement on the roster. There's so many openings for jobs and spots there to be taken. That's somewhere where they can like try to get a, an advantage in the margins is by having some versatility, by being able to play both types of fronts, by being able to use your depth guys in you know, splitting your starting role type of thing. Thing. So we'll have to wait to see what they do. I, I'm going to say that they're not – I don't think that they're going to stick with a more, mostly 3-4 front, uh, but I do expect to see a lot of that, and I think they should – build uh, a lot of switching back and forth, and I think they should build their roster like you're going to do that. And if they're going to build a roster, one of the guys that could be a key piece – if they draft him at number three overall, is Quinnen Williams, the outstanding defensive lineman from Alabama. He is not going to be bench pressing at the combine this week. Finger injury, looks like he's going to have surgery. Should be fine, but he's not going to be doing a lot of the physical activities at the combine. So some people are suggesting this might be a red flag. I don't really think that it's much of a big deal. I think the strength that he displayed on the field is all I really need to see. But... For some teams, maybe this is something that could factor into their decision. What do you think, Chris? Is this going to make any dent in his draft status? You can't can't uh, lift at the combine. Take him off the board completely. <laughs> um, no, listen. This is uh, this is silly. He he hurt his finger. It's we're not talking about a knee. Or we're not talking about a shoulder or you know something that's going to be a re could be a reoccurring problem he's going to be fine he's, he'll be able to I, I mean i don't know the extent of the injury but i imagine it'll be healed he'll be able to lift at his pro day and even if he doesn't i don't care i've seen enough of him on tape i haven't done my full deep dive scouting him i've seen enough of him on tape that i'm comfortable if i'm stuck at number three that i know i'm getting a really good player whether he lifts anything or not, uh, and, you know, I, I, who knows what type of numbers he's going to put up, but it, it's going to be enough. I don't care. I've what I've seen on tape. He's going to be really good. I don't need to see him lift. Chris, the other big news surrounding the Jets is another player who's not actually a Jet yet, and that would be Le'Veon Bell. We don't know whether or not he's going to ever be a Jet, but we do know that he is not going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler anymore. There were rumors that the Steelers were going to transition tag him and then maybe look to deal him for a draft pick. Instead, they have decided not to do that, and so Le'Veon Bell, as many of us expected, is going to be an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, and uh, you know the Steelers... We're smart to finally do that because I can't imagine that the players around the league wouldn't be looking at them, giving them a side eye for doing that. This, this is ridiculous. Their their time is over. Just let them go. Collect the comp pick that they're going to end up getting for him next year. Um, so he will officially be a free agent. My stance is the same as it has been. Pay him. Uh, pay him what it takes. Um, you know, we've, we've had the question before of, uh, you know, What's the tipping point where there isn't one with the way this roster set up, how much money they have. You could pay Le'Veon Bell $20 million a season for three years, and it's not going to affect you. Now, obviously, they're not going to offer him that much. It won't take that much. But they have so much cap space these next couple of years, so few players on the roster that have uh, any type of uh, uh, you know actual money going their way. 
you have to get him. You have to help improve your team. He's the best playmaker available. He can make a case he's one of, if not the best wide receiver option available. He makes the would make the team better. They're not going to a Super Bowl or anything with Le'Veon Bell. You know, if they miss out on him, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. But you need him for you want him for Sam Darnold. You want to help give him all the weapons you can, take all the pressure off of him. And Le'Veon Bell is I just don't understand any possible argument against signing him at this point. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It's not a secret that I agree with you, Chris. I think they should do whatever they have to do to get Le'Veon Bell. And this whole situation reminded me a lot of what the Redskins were trying to pull with Kirk Cousins last year. They were trying to convince teams that they were going to franchise or transition tag them so they could scare somebody into maybe giving up draft pick compensation. In the end, that didn't happen because the cap hold would have been insanely high. Plus, the players' union was going to make a huge stink about it. So I think... All of that also combined to keep Le'Veon Bell from being transition tagged by the Steelers. And so now he will be an unrestricted free agent. And we will see whether or not he comes to the Jets. And you just answered what your breaking point would be for Le'Veon Bell, Chris. Gary Weber wants to know not only what the breaking point should be for Bell, but also for Trey Flowers, the outstanding defensive lineman from the New England Patriots, who was also expected to hit the free agent market as we now dip into the mailbag. Yeah, same thing. There's a, the the breaking point I'd have for both those players is about years, not money. Um, you know, I'm I'm not giving Le'Veon Bell five years of guaranteed money like that would that would be too much. Um, so that's where I would put a breaking point at at the amount of years. Again, there's they can't possibly spend all the money on the cap cap cap. They can't. They don't have enough available. I mean, they, there's just not enough players available for them to be able to spend all that money. If they tried, if they went and they dramatically overpaid everybody, they still wouldn't be able to do it. There's still going to be holes in this roster. And then next year, they still have a whole bunch of money. They'll still be among the highest in, in salary cap. The year after that, they even have less players on the roster. So I'm, I, I can't sit here and quibble about overspending on the the couple of good players that might be available on the market for you know a three year period, a four year period. As long as we're talking three to four years, nothing more guaranteed, I don't really have a breaking point. The breaking point is just don't be bidding against yourself, I guess, too much. Because like I said, Le'Veon Bell is not getting $20 million, so you don't need to pay him $20 million. But if somebody else is offering him 16 go ahead, give him 16 5 17 go ahead. Like, that money isn't going to be able to go elsewhere. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that giving Trey Flowers something like $15 million a year and whatever guarantees is fine. Again, the goal here has got to be to add as much talent as you can, and you have a ton of cap space. You'd rather do that than pay a bunch of average to below average players. We've seen where yes. that gets you. So go ahead, do what you got to do. It's not like you have anybody on this roster, with the possible exception of Leonard Williams, if he plays better this year, that you're going to need to give a big extension to. So don't feel constrained by what these guys are going to be asking for. If you have to give Trey Flowers and Le'Veon Bell $15 million a piece i'm totally fine with that i know fans everyone gets so excited about the prospect of having a whole bunch of cap space understandably so 
but you don't want to be the team with the most cap space like a year after year. That's not a good thing. That means you don't have enough good players on your roster that you want to pay that need to be paid. So you need to start spending some of this money and you need to make sure it's on players that you want to keep around. It's not good to have no cap space, but it's also bad to always year after year have the most cap space. You need to identify the good players. That's This is what free agency is. The very few players who get there, you're going to have to overpay. But if you have all the cap space, you have to put it to good use. Otherwise, you're just going to be back in the same boat with a whole bunch of cap space wondering why there aren't enough good players to go out and sign. As I said yesterday with Jim Garrity on the roundtable, my friend Jason Love likes to say, if you have a lot of cap space, it's generally an indicator that you've been bad at drafting for a while. Yeah. And that's pretty much what the situation is with the Jets and why they've had the cap space so many times. So hopefully that trend ends. Go spend that money on good players. Start drafting good players. And I would rather be a team that is struggling to figure out how to keep somebody because they have so many good players that they have to pay rather than the Jets who are always at the front of the line for free agency and then A, don't land most of the premium free agents and B, are right back in it again the next year because they have a poor draft and didn't land good free agents the year before. So let's hope that cycle breaks as we move on to the next question. This one from Mike Miller, and I know that this is a very big one for you, Chris. He wants to know who are the top three punters in the upcoming draft. Well, you got you got to start with Biff McGrath from the Texas State. The the hang time, the spin. I, no, I, 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 do I got to keep this charade going? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, Chris, Biff McGrath is pretty awesome. I don't know that I would draft him really high like Brad Maynard a bunch of years ago. I think he went in the third or fourth to the Giants. But would I consider Biff McGrath from North Texas State in the seventh round? I think you got to think about it. Yeah, you know, it may, it may be. Like I talked talk about it, the velocity, that that this hang time is impressive. It, it it just, it's like it freezes in the air and then the spin on it. it you never know where it's going to end up. The, you know, it's it's incredible what this kid from Texas State can do. Is he's been around for a while. I think that that move came out in the 90s. So uh, he's been around. So that's right up McCagnon's age. He's a little older in age. So, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have much uh, actual puncher information for you there. I, I think I think the Jets are pretty uh, okay with Lachlan Edwards there too. By the way, yeah, I think Lachlan has done pretty well. He was a seventh round pick as well, so I think he'll be all right. Although, like I said, Chris, if Biff McGrath is sitting there in the seventh round, it would definitely be tempting for me. Take a flyer, sure. Yeah, just based on the hang time and the many years of punting experience he's had at North Texas State. Next question comes from Michael Palace, and what Michael wants to know is if there are any players that have caught your eye in the AAF that you think the Jets might be looking to sign in the offseason. Uh, there's nobody that I've seen that uh, I would sit there and point at, like, yeah, that somebody the Jets should look at or whatever. The the player that I've has intrigued me the most, that I've liked the most, is a player I liked since college and uh, got drafted by the 49ers, and he was actually here briefly before he got injured, but then that's Quentin Patton. Uh, I like that the kid a lot. He's a wide receiver. He's really good. Uh, you know, he's not going to be a, a number one receiver or probably even number two receiver, but I think he can come in and help uh, teams, whether they would come back to the Jets. The Jets need, uh, you know, I saw a report the other day about they, they might be interested in Dante Moncrief, you know, who's still an NFL player, obviously. 
that's that he's a good player. He's somebody I liked in college too. I liked the, and when he was in Indianapolis, he had some injury concerns, but the jets don't uh, sure they could use him, but they, we don't need to keep collecting second and third receivers for them. They need to try to get a number one receiver. If, if you can get a, a, you know, a number one type receiver to put with Quincy and Robbie Anderson, then, the, then they'll be much better. They need somebody at the top end of that more than they need to keep building at the bottom. They don't ignore the bottom. Of course, depth is important, but that then that's the top, that number one spots, what they need to be looking for. Mostly. This is the overtime podcast network. Couple of thoughts based on what you just said, Chris, first of all, let's point out that that report about Dante Moncrief came from Manish Mehta of the New York daily yes. news. And I am not a huge fan of Moncrief. I think he's okay. I'm not totally against signing him, but I think that there are better options. Namely, Jamison Crowder, who Michael Nanny and I have been very in on for a while. I think that Crowder is a guy that you could get for a fraction of what you would have to pay somebody like Adam Humphreys. And other than being injured for half a season last year, he was very productive. And actually last year started to take real strides in the area of yards after the catch, which is very important in a Gase offense. So a slot receiver who can get yards after the catch and who is only 25 about to turn 26 that to me screams a guy that the Jets should look at heavily as far as the AAF not Christian Hackenberg that's my first response (laughs) and my second response is not Trenton Richardson and the reason for that is years ago when Curtis Martin was getting inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame I took a trip out to the Cleveland area I went to Brown's training camp and Trenton Richardson was a complete jerk to every single person that was there who was trying to get an autograph or asking him if he could come over and take a picture or any of that. He just blew everybody off, had no time for anybody. He couldn't be bothered. On the other hand, Colt McCoy, very nice guy, taking pictures of everybody. I am a Texas Longhorns fan, so he signed my roster sheet and was very nice to me answering my Texas-related questions. And by the way, in case you're thinking, well, Colt McCoy's kind of a scrub, and of course Richardson blew everybody off because he's a star, Joe Hayden, who at the time was an all-pro cornerback, stopped for about a half hour to an hour to take pictures and sign autographs and actually had to be rushed away by Browns coaches and PR people because he wanted to stay, but they had to bring him in for meetings and stuff. So that's why, from a personal standpoint, I wouldn't want Trent Richardson, and I think that Hackenberg speaks for himself, Chris. Yeah, Hackenberg definitely speaks for himself, and yeah, I agree with you on Trent Richardson. I mean, we what we saw with him in the NFL, he's going to need to do a whole lot more than is possible in the AAF for me to sit there and think that he can come back to the NFL and just start doing good now. I think he was fighting a losing battle with this, at least with me. I don't, I don't know that there's anything he could do that could convince me while playing in the AAF. While we're on the subject of running backs, Chris, let's talk about one that's on the Jets roster, and that's Trenton Cannon. Mr. Wantre wants to know what your thoughts are on the possibility of moving Trenton Cannon to slot receiver. Yeah, I mean, a move to slot receiver like a, as like a permanent move, like that's too much. But they definitely do need to use him more in the passing game. Uh, you know, to have him line up in the slot to try to, you know, spend training camp getting him to be able to do that from time to time. Absolutely all bored about that. And uh, and I'm for his usage. I'm I'm much more interested in throwing the ball to him, getting him some space than I will be at to actually 
run him, but he's still a running back. He's, he's not going to become a full-time slot receiver, but they definitely, definitely need to use him more in the passing game. That's where he's going to be most dangerous and give him a little bit of space to work with. So. Yeah, I could see him being used more as a passing weapon, but as a full-time slot receiver, I don't really see it. I don't know how much longer he's even going to really stick on this team because he was kind of disappointing on special teams, and he didn't show you much as a running back. So we'll see what happens, especially if they bring in a high-profile running back, whether it's Le'Veon Bell, Mark Ingram, or Tevin Coleman. Next question here comes in from Sean Stalker. He wants to know about Hawkinson because he says that Daniel Jeremiah called him the safest player in the draft and pointed out how much he could help a young quarterback. If the Jets trade down to the 10 to 15 area, maybe he could make some sense because he'd add a passing weapon for Darnold. Also would bolster the running game, which would help Darnold. With Mac's track record, it seems like this would be a guy that he would want to target in a trade down because he likes safe players. What do you think about this, Chris? I, I can't argue with Daniel Jeremiah at all about him being the safest pick in the draft right now. Um, you know, maybe maybe you could say Quinn Williams. Bosa, a lot of people would scream, but the injury issues there uh, make that a little different. Uh, but he, he, Hawkinson's so good, and he's so good at everything. And he's, you know, he's sneakier athletic than people think, want to give him credit for. He's an amazing blocker. He can make plays. Uh, like, there's nothing that he doesn't do well. And um, he can. He would be such a huge help for Sam Darnold. And then also for Herndon, for, to be able to have him, let him do a lot of the blocking, uh, and to also have him as a receiving option, open up things, more things for Herndon. So if they trade back, absolutely he would be a good target where he's getting depends on how far back they trade. I won't be surprised at all though. If he's a top 10 pick, to be honest with you, I, I, I just think that there's, this is a little bit like a, uh, the Saquon Barkley type of argument last year. You know, it's a little bit different, but like, uh, he is so good and so safe but it's at a position that isn't valued as much, but somebody is going to take that chance on him, and he's going to be a hell of a player wherever he ends up. If the Jets trade down and get him, that, that'll that be a pretty, pretty good first day to the draft. For anybody who's unfamiliar, we're talking about TJ Hawkinson, the tight end from Iowa. And I do think that he would be an interesting target if the Jets traded down. I know a lot of people will say what you just said, Chris, that it's not an impactful position, and so you don't want to use a pick that high. But remember, they have Chris Herndon now, so if you put those two guys together, you're creating some serious matchup nightmares for other defenses, and it gives you an opportunity to do things in a different way and really get Sam going with two guys that are going to have safety and linebacker mismatches on a consistent basis. You can't double team both of them either so that's good as well and even though he's not an offensive lineman Hawkinson's a really good blocker so that would be a huge asset to this team too especially since we know that the offensive line has a ton of question marks and they could use all the blocking help they can get an offensive line adjacent pick so let's say they drop it down to 12 or whatever and Jonah's gone or off the board and they don't like Jawan James high enough well, you could go with a Hawkinson, and you can get kind of a hybrid, somebody who can help as a receiver and also be an extra blocker on the offensive line. And he is that good of a blocker that he is like an extra offensive lineman. Yeah, so I guess my final answer would be, 
I would certainly consider if they traded down, depending on if he was available and who else was on the board right. at the time. But you can't say in a vacuum whether or not you would pick him at that spot, but I would certainly consider it, no question about it. Next yeah. question comes in from Darren Morgan Jr. He wants to know, at this moment, who do you project to be the starting offensive lineman for the 2019 New York Jets? Well, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Beecham and Shell on the outside. I'm a, I'm a stick with uh, Winters at one of the guard spots. Um, I think they would look to upgrade that, but you know, right now I th- I'd say that's uh, it's safer to assume that he'll hold on to that for a little bit. I'll go with uh, Paradise, uh, Paradise, the center from Denver. I'll say I'll I'll go ahead and say that they sign him, uh, and. Uh, and then I, you know, I can't name the other one unless the, unless they go get uh, Roger Saffold from the Rams. I think the other one will be a rookie that they draft, and obviously, who knows, will that be first round if they trade down, second, third, wherever? But I think that they, Mike McCagden has to address the the offensive line in the draft. He has to start doing it besides Shell, and I th- I think they get one somewhere in that you know third rounds. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think that they are definitely going to bring back Winters, Shell, and Beecham, like you said. So I think those will be three starters. I think they're going to sign either Morse or Paradise just because I think they realize that they have no choice. So I think one of those two will be the center. And as far as guard, I think what you're probably looking at is they will end up with a guard who is coming in on a one- or two-year deal, a nondescript veteran who will then compete with somebody that they pick in the third or fourth round for the starting job. That's just my hunch. We'll see how that plays out. This next question comes in from John McAnally. He says, alternate reality, if the Jets had stuck with Sanchez and Rex and not used all those draft picks, a first five seconds and one fourth trying to find a quarterback would they have won more than four games in 2018 would they be a better team in 2019 i'd say they'd probably be right where they are (laughs) um because we see you know when after that second year of rex and sanchez after that afc back-to-back afc championship runs and then all of a sudden Braylon's gone. Uh, San Antonio was gone, even though it, you know, it didn't end well there with him. Dustin Keller was gone. And the, I like to bust on uh, Damian Woody all the time. I, I always tell him it's his fault that that offensive line fell apart because he retired. <laughs> and then they, they had Wayne Hunter replace him. Because we remember Wayne Hunter did all right replacing him in the playoffs. So they thought, okay, we can just slide him in and that was an absolute disaster so i like to bust on damien say it's all his fault that they kind of tore that team apart around sanchez and then just i mean we see what sanchez has been since then uh we see what rex did since then what he did in buffalo the other draft choices and personnel decisions he made you know, a lot, a lot of fans still like to hang the, uh, you know, not taking Melvin Ingram, instead going with Quentin Copels. Rex made plenty of bad decisions there. Yeah, it would be better to not have had to uh, waste those quarterback picks. But, you know, like fans keep saying about McAgnan not trusting him, do you, did you really, do you really expect that Rex would have done something really good with those picks? Because 
we don't have a lot of proof in his draft uh, history that he he would have made better choices there either. It's so hard because there's a lot of moving parts. It depends right. on who would have been making the decisions, who else they would have picked in those spots. Is it Sarah or are we talking fan about? Yeah, see, that's the problem, too. We don't know. Or is Mike McCagnin coming and Rex gets a third general manager? Right. Who's to say in this scenario? Plus, obviously, you don't know how badly Sanchez would have degenerated or if he would have even stuck around because even if he stuck with him, that's not to say that at some point they don't go and sign some veteran instead. So there are just too many moving parts. I will say that I think that there's at least a 50-50 shot they would have won more games, but really, who cares? Because what's the big deal if you win five, six, seven, even eight games? It's not deep playoff run, Super Bowl uh, run difference we're talking about. Exactly, and the goal here was always to build a long-term winner. So despite all the moving parts basically making it impossible for us to say for sure, yes, it could have happened that if they had stuck with Rex and Sanchez and not used those picks on quarterbacks that they could have been better over the last year or two. But really, it doesn't matter is really the best way I could put this. There's no other way you could say it. Yes, they may have won a few more games in the short term, but no, it wasn't going to make a difference in the long-term health of the franchise. And I would argue it actually would have been worse for the long-term health of the franchise, which is why they made the smart call moving on from both Rex and Sanchez. Next question comes from Gray, who wants to know what your thoughts are, Chris, on some middle-of-the-draft receivers that they could target, being that the Jets are likely not going to pick one with the number three overall pick. Yeah, and... uh... They're definitely not going to be taking one with the number three overall pick, and that's not a, uh, you know, that's not a, they shouldn't use a, a pick that high on a receiver as there's nobody that's demanding of a, you know, a receiver being demanding of being picked that high. But this is a real. This isn't the Odell, uh, Sammy Watkins, Mike Evans class. It's not that class, but it is a really good deep class, and. It's going to depend a lot on the who goes and where they start when they start going when the run comes and wide receivers are always tricky because I I find that the variance of opinions on wide receivers uh, it, it's higher than any other position because people value different things than about receivers some like the big guys more possession some want that more speed the cleaner route running there's so many things to like or fall in love with about a receiver that you might have a receiver that a lot of people have a top 10 grade on that other people aren't so i find the variance on them is the uh probably the most of any position but you're talking about you know like nikhil harry's probably a late first round guy but uh, you know, the second and third round, you start talking about a Debo Samuel, Riley Ridley from Georgia, Debo Samuel, South Carolina. We talked about him before at, after the senior bowl. He's somebody I really love. Riley Ridley is another great athlete. You know, what's somebody like Marquise Hollywood Brown, Antonio Brown's cousin going to do? Uh, if he's from Oklahoma, a big playmaker, small guy, super fast. What? How are people going to view him? Are they going to view him? You remember John Ross went and ran, broke that combine record of speed, went in the top ten to the Bengals, and he hasn't done much. He hasn't done anything. So, will another team fall in love with someone like Hollywood Brown like that, or will he fall down and be available? There's going to be options. Those two third round picks, 
there's going to be a couple of them that could possibly be. And then there's somebody even like David Sills from West Virginia, who I think is going to be a, a very good uh, wide receiver. He's not the you know the most athletic, the best uh, top-end guy, but I think you can get him in the middle rounds and he can help your team. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Chris, let's talk about a wide receiver that's already here, and that is Robbie Anderson. This comes in from Sun Moon Rise, and it's a multi-part question. Sun Moon Rise says, Many people have ranked Robbie Anderson as the number two wide receiver in this year's free agent class. So is it a must for the Jets to place a first-round tender on him to keep other teams away from him? And also, would it be smart for the Jets to give Robbie a contract extension now before the price goes up if he has a big season with Sam because the last couple of games of the season, he really did well with Darnold, and you would assume that if they have a full season together, his value will only go up. I'll I'll start with the second part of the question. I would try to sign him right now and try to get him a little bit cheaper. I do agree that if he's here next year, if he stays healthy and Darnold stays healthy, then I think they will continue, maybe not at the same exact pace that they got at the end, but they will continue to build on the rapport that they started to, you know, form at the end of the season. I think that he his ability to stretch the field and Sam's ability to find them how comfortable they were getting I think that'll get better uh I don't think it's a must that they have to place a, a frown tender on them but I'm not against that idea a second round tender should be fine but that and you know we've had this discussion before there's typical things fans do where they want to hold on to all their he's decent to good players and Robbie's better than that but if you if you can get something great for Robbie, better than Robbie, then go ahead and do it. But they need receivers, so if you can't really risk losing Robbie unless you know that there's going to be some type of upgrade at receiver coming. You can't risk rolling into the season with just Quincy Nunwa as your only real receiving option. I think a second-round tender should be fine for Robbie Anderson. If you want to do a first-round tender just to be safe, I'd have to see the difference in numbers on that and what the cost would be. I suppose you could go that route, but I think a second-round tender is fine. As far as locking him up long-term, what I would do is open negotiations and try and get him on a reasonable contract. But I also wouldn't feel pressure to do anything because he's going to be here for another year. And worst case scenario, they can always tag him at the end of the season or trade him. So there are a lot of options there. I would try to get him on a reasonable deal. If they can't work something out, though, just bring him back on the one-year deal. Let him play it out and see what happens from there. Yeah, and you know, worst case scenario, you let him play out. He has a great year and you have to pay him a lot of money. And we're right back at the conversation we were having before where they have plenty of money. So they can afford to do that at that point anyway. So, you know, I would I would be looking to, to do something, but I agree with you. I wouldn't be hard-pressed and, like, trying to force anything there. Last question comes from Sue, just Sue. I guess it's like Bond, James Bond. <laughs> she wants to know if the team trades the number three pick for lower round picks, who are your best available players on offense? Any swing tackle centers, guards, or literally anybody, even a mailbox with a helmet that would be able to help protect Sam Darnold? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, obviously there's Jonah Williams. Where is where is he going to go? The tackle from Alabama. 
uh, how high is he going to go? You look at different mocks, and he's you know people were talking about him as a top five potential pick. That seems to have dropped. So he could be, you could find him somewhere in the teens. I've seen mocks having him in the twenties. It, it's hard to tell there. Uh, some teams are going to view him as a guard. Uh, then there's Juwan James uh, from uh, Florida, and uh, he's somebody who's kind of a one-year wonder. Uh, just had, but he had a great year. I, I need to dig into that tape a little bit more. Uh, there's the other guys, the guards. There's you know, there's definitely plenty of them. And there's some centers, the Bradbury kid, NC State. Um, but that that's going to be more second, third round. You're looking at the. So I I think really it's it's not a very top heavy draft with those offensive linemen guys there. And I think that you know it's probably James or uh, Jonah that you're looking at really at the top of that that list there. I think Hawkinson is certainly a possibility if you trade yeah. down, since we talked yeah, about absolutely. him before. But also, like you said, there are some other offensive linemen. Whether or not you believe in Jonah Williams or whether or not he's there, if you trade down, he could be a possibility. You mentioned Jawan Taylor. There's also Andre Dillard from Washington State. You could be talking about Cody Ford. I know he's a guard, but still, they need guards too, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that they go there. Bradbury, somebody that you might want to take a look at a little bit later. So there are definitely options as far as the offensive line goes. It all really depends on where you trade to and then how your big board falls. I know that there are people that have very differing opinions on Taylor, on Jonah Williams, on some of these other guys. So it really depends on how you evaluate these offensive linemen and who you think the best one is because offensive linemen are very, very difficult to evaluate. I would say that they're among the toughest to evaluate because there's so many things that are involved in the jump from the collegiate level to the pro level. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to, you know, there's things that we can't really see when we're looking at them as to uh especially coming into a new staff how they'll fit in a certain system and working together with other there's so many intricacies and things to offensive line that like we we talk about all the time about how like people sit there and say if you didn't play you can't judge offensive line is one of those positions that's that holds the most truth like there's so many little intricacies that it's just impossible to know but that won't stop us from trying yeah that's right every day we're hustling right chris exactly there you go and i will say this too even though he's not an offensive player and certainly not an offensive lineman you should still very much keep in the back of your mind that biff mcgrath is out there and the jets should certainly consider him he, he's so good that he could be offense. He could be considered offense because he's that good. That I'm telling you, the spin is hard to handle. He caused lots of turnovers. All I know is Ray Guy was the best at almost everything. The joke was that when he would take snaps at quarterback in practice, he would snap Guy's hands because he had such a rocket, so he could have played quarterback. Could be the same thing with Biff McGrath. He could really be that Randall Cunningham type where he could punt and then go back and play quarterback, or maybe they could use him at wide receiver, even to block if he puts on a couple of pounds. You never know. There you go, yeah. He could stick a mailbox on his head. Chris, that draws our mailbag to a close. Thank you so much for coming on. It is always great to have you on, not only because of your inside knowledge of the Jets, but because you are, of course, a very big deal. Why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can read your very big deal work, get your very big deal thoughts, and where they can interact with you in a one-on-one basis, which is a real treat because how often do you get to interact one-on-one with a very big deal? 
Not very often. There's not that many very big deals out there. But, uh, yeah, you can find it. The website is jetsinsire.com. You can find it on Twitter, jetsinsire.com, Instagram, jetsinsire.com. And you can find me at, at CNimbly on both Instagram and Twitter. I've uh, taken a little bit of a Twitter break these past couple of weeks, but Combine Combine weekend is here. So I will be back in full force on Twitter probably starting tomorrow. So I'll be there at Again, it's at C-Nimbly. Going to be a lot of fun over the next couple of weeks. And Chris, you and Daryl Slater are going to be joining me during free agency week. We're going to have daily updates as to what's going on with the New York Jets and around the league, too. This is among my favorite things the entire year when it comes to football. I guess that's a sad statement, but as a Jets fan, the draft and free agency have been the best part of the season for the better part of the last couple of years. I'm with you, though. It's all stupid. We were talking about this earlier. It's all really stupid, and yet I love it, and it's so much fun. And I love everything about the draft, even this underwear Olympic stupid stuff. It's just fun, and it's it, it's a perfect example of why I happily consider myself a football nerd. 100%. And so am I, and so are you if you are listening to this so thank you so much for listening really appreciate it make sure you check out chris over at jetsinsider.com and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcasts you know where to go let's turn on the jets digital and turn on the jets.com